Hi, I'm Gideon Duran, and I'm in sixth grade, and I'm reading from Acts, chapter 9, verse 1 through 20. Meanwhile, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any who belonged to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he was going along and approaching Damascus, a light from heaven flashed down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He asked, Who are you, Lord? The reply came, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless because they heard the voice but saw no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they led him by hand and brought him into Damascus. For three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, he answered, Here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. At this moment he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him, so that he may regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard many from about this man, how much evil he has done for, to your saints in Jerusalem, and here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who invoke your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is an instrument whom I have chosen to bring my name before Gentiles and kings, and before the people of Israel. I myself will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias went and entered the house. He laid his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on your way here has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and his sight was restored. Then he got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. For several days he was with the disciples in Damascus. And immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue saying, He is the Son of God. The word of God is for the people of God. Thanks be to God. God. It is wonderful to be with you in worship today and to be led by your children. I can feel the energy of their faith and the health of your congregation in the way they sing and read and pray and show God's love. I want to bring you greetings on behalf of the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship. Congregations all over the United States, missionaries in 20 countries around the world, ministers and friends all over. And I want to thank you for the way you join us in sharing the love of Jesus, not only in this community, but all over the world. Some of you may be nervous that you're about to hear what you hope is not more than a 20-minute denominational commercial. But I pass that opportunity by this morning because I have the chance to speak to you from a text that allows me to ask you a question. Have you ever seen anyone 
anywhere at any time who could have been any more clearly compelled to be Christ's love and hope than Saul. You see how he was compelled to be Christ's love and hope? He was on his way to Damascus thinking that he saw very clearly the way God was at work in the world. Thinking he was doing exactly what God wanted him to do. Certain in his beliefs, confident in his actions, on what he believed was a mission from God to root out anyone who believed in Jesus Christ arrest them, bind them, and carry them back to Jerusalem where they would have to answer for their ideas. When all of a sudden, a light falls from heaven, and Saul, who was so confident just a moment before, finds himself knocked on his back. Knocked to the ground, unable to see, hearing a voice, meeting Jesus face to face. If that won't compel you to change your life, what will? If any person at any time in any place, has ever been compelled to be Christ's love and hope in the world, surely it was Saul on that road to Damascus. I don't know about you, though. Sometimes when I hear Saul's story, I feel a little bit inadequate. Because I can't stand here today and give you the testimony that I was ever knocked on my back by the risen Jesus. I can't stand before you and give you a testimony that my life was heading in such a wrong direction that Jesus had to gang tackle me. Although it'd be way more impressive if I could. Sort of reminds me of the story Tom Long tells in his book called Testimony about a youth camp that was held every year for young people to come and learn more about Jesus. And part of the worship every night at that youth camp was for young people to stand up and give their testimonies. Of course, this made young people nervous, and among the young people who would attend that youth camp every year was a pastor's daughter. And she opened a side business at the youth camp to help other youth write their testimonies. And she would write those testimonies in such a way that they would be harrowing and dramatic, sort of like Saul on the road to Damascus, how these 13 and 14-year-olds would profess that they'd had this life-altering encounter with Jesus who had knocked them on their back and grabbed their attention and summoned them to serve in a whole different way. And when you hear a story like that, how can you help but be changed? But not all of us have a ghostwriter to give us that kind of story. And not all of us have exactly that kind of story of how we were compelled that dramatically to be Christ's love and hope. Because for many of us, 
Our stories began when we were children as young as the children who have led us in worship this morning, where we breathe in the love of Jesus just as naturally as we breathe in the air around us, when as long as we can remember there were loving people at home and at church who were telling us that God loved us, that we were beautiful in God's sight, that Jesus had given his life for us unconditionally so that just as we learn to breathe and take in the world, we learned that Jesus loved us and we belong to him and we matter to him and that we could be part of his mission of love in the world. And it wasn't sudden or dramatic, it was natural. If you're a little bit more like that, I want you to notice there's someone else in this text from Acts who's also compelled to be Christ's love and hope. Sometimes in all the fireworks of Saul's Damascus Road encounter, we miss Ananias altogether. Have you ever paid him much attention? All we know is that he's a disciple of the Lord who lives in Damascus. No dramatic conversion story. No fireworks. Just a disciple at prayer. He comes to hear his call to be Christ's love and hope to Saul and to the world in a very natural way, as far as we can tell. He's praying. He has a vision of Jesus. He receives an instruction from the Lord. You know, from what I hear, your congregation over the last period of time has heard a call to be Christ's love and hope in the world. And I'm guessing your discovery of that calling or your renewed discovery of that calling looks a lot more like Ananias than it does like Saul. That it's come to you in prayer and study and worship and revelation and holy conversation and the ordinary stuff of just being church in the world. But you've come to the point where you've said, in a new way we want to be Christ's love and hope. I wonder what Ananias has to teach you and me and us about being Christ's love and hope in the world. I think most of all Ananias teaches us that if we're going to be Christ's love and hope in the world, we have to see people as Jesus sees Mm -hmm. and not as others around us might see. Wasn't that Ananias' challenge? The Lord Jesus says to him, go to this house on this street. You'll find a man there praying. He's had a vision that a man named Ananias is going to come and restore his sight. By the way, his name is Saul of Tarsus. And Ananias' first response is, I've heard about Saul of Tarsus. You've got to be kidding me. I've heard, even without the benefit of social media, that he's on his way to Damascus to arrest any of us who are disciples of the Lord Jesus. I've heard that he was the one who held the coats so that people could throw huge stones at Stephen. 
I've heard how he breathes threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, how he speaks violently and acts violently. Are you sure you've got the right guy? You see, Ananias had been taught to see Saul a certain way. His vision of Saul had been hardened, and it wasn't just based on bad imagination. He had developed through what he had seen and heard a certain perspective on Saul. A perspective that caused him to see Saul as someone to be avoided, to be feared, to be resisted, to be pushed away, not to be invited to the first church of Damascus. And in the middle of thinking that way about Saul and seeing Saul that way, this vision happens and the Lord says to Ananias, go to Saul because he is the instrument I have chosen to bring my name to the Gentiles and to kings and to rulers. In other words, I've chosen him to be my love and my hope. Now in that moment, Ananias is caught between two radically different ways of seeing. He can either see Saul as someone to be feared or as someone to be blessed. He can either see Saul as someone to be avoided or as someone to be welcomed. He has to make a decision. Am I going to see Saul the way I have always seen Saul? A way that reliable information has trained me to see Saul Or am I going to see Saul as Jesus sees Saul? Isn't that a really important question for us today? If we're going to be Christ's love and hope in the world, we're going to have to ask ourselves how we're going to see the people around us. Are we going to see people as human beings see? Or are we going to see people as Jesus sees? You know, it's interesting. Several years later, Paul was writing the Corinthians. And about two verses after the verses that were read earlier in the service, you know what Paul said to the Corinthians? He said, we no longer regard anyone from a human point of view, even though we once regarded Christ from a human point of view, we do so no more because when anyone is joined to Christ, there is a new creation. Old things pass away. All things are made new. See, Paul had learned from Ananias. Paul had been drawn into Christ's love and Christ's hope because Ananias had chosen to see Saul not as he had been trained to see Saul, but instead as Jesus saw Saul. I was reflecting on this truth about a year ago, back in another lifetime when I was the pastor of a church. I was in a meeting in downtown Athens, Georgia, where I was the pastor, and the superintendent of schools in Athens 
was speaking to a community group. The athens Clark County schools have a large number of children in them who have grown up in what we call in the Deep South generational poverty. Generation after generation after generation has lived in families whose incomes were not above the poverty line and weren't even close to the poverty line. Many of them of different racial and ethnic backgrounds. And the superintendent of schools, who was relatively new and didn't know exactly which third rail he was about to touch, because he wasn't from the South, said, I've heard a lot of people say that certain kind of children just cannot learn. that certain kinds of children have become barriers to the opportunities of other children to learn. So that we can't any longer teach those children anything. And he said, what's happened is that our way of seeing those children has become a barrier to their learning. Well, I must confess that neither in college nor seminary did I take educational psychology. So I didn't have any way of assessing his opinion from an educational point of view. But as he was talking, I found myself thinking this question. How does Jesus see those children? When Jesus looks at children who are held in the prison of generational poverty, does Jesus give up? When Jesus sees children who are held in the grips of decades and centuries of prejudice, does Jesus give up? Is looking at children through the lens that says they cannot... Is that a human point of view? Or is that the way that Jesus sees? Or when Jesus looks at those children, does he see beautiful lives made in the image of God, so valuable that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that even they, like us, if they know him and believe in him, are worthy of infinite love and grace and hope and possibility and limitless futures. When Jesus told his disciples to bring good news to the poor and announce deliverance to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, what did he think that would mean for those so trapped? I found myself asking, am I seeing from a human point of view or am I seeing as Jesus sees? That was Ananias' conundrum. Am I going to respond to Saul based on a human point of view? Or am I going to see Saul as Jesus sees? 
You see what Ananias does, don't you? As his vision changes, he acts and speaks differently. Instead of backing away from Saul, he steps toward him. And did you hear how he addresses Saul on his first meeting? Brother Saul. Not, you sure had that coming, buddy. Although you know he had to be tempted from a human point of view, right? Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, our Lord Jesus, your Lord Jesus, my Lord Jesus, who appeared to you. Notice how delicately he put that. Who, how, who appeared to you. Not who knocked you on your ear in, who appeared to you on the road, has sent me. And he lays his hands on him, and he receives his sight, and he's baptized. And that's when Saul hears for the first time that he's compelled to be Christ's love and hope, not in the dramatic confrontation of the Damascus Road, but in the house in Damascus where Ananias calls him brother and extends the hand of fellowship and baptizes him into a love that will not let him go. We, you and I, live in a world that is being torn apart by human points of view. And those points of view harden us. They control us. They imprison us, and some of them come from reasons at least as good as Ananias' reasons for viewing Saul the way he viewed Saul. But in this Easter season, the risen Jesus comes to us and offers us a different way of seeing and an opportunity, once we see like he sees, to serve like he serves and love like he loves and reach out like he reaches out until this world becomes more unlike what we pray for every time we pray the Lord's Prayer, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If you and I are going to be Christ's love and hope, we're going to have to ask ourselves, do we see others like Jesus does. Oh Lord, open our eyes that we may see. Amen. Amen.